0: This is the Annex a Sociology Podcast. I'm Joe Cohen from Queen's College in the City University of New York. Today we talk to Karen Albright from the University of Colorado's Medical School. Karen is a sociologist and the chair of the ASA section on Applied Sociology, and we're going to talk about career options in Applied Sociology. Hi, Karen.
1: Hi, Joe. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, you know, as good as can be during this sort of covid time that we're stuck in. It's been some tough times. And one reason that we have uh, Karen over today is uh, it's been a very rough year for the academic job market there are I I mean there are barely any jobs and I'd imagine it's extremely dispiriting for anybody who's in grad school or is uh, you know looking for a full-time position and I, I remember when I was in graduate school, a lot of my colleagues, not me, but a lot of my colleagues had this mentality that if they didn't get on the tenure track that their life was just absolutely over. One thing that I wanted to do this year was to bring in guests who dispel that myth because it's not true. There's a world of amazing career options. Uh, that are available to PhD-bearing sociologists. And uh, who better to guide us through this than the leader of the ASA Applied Section? Karen, can you start us off by telling us about the section? Like, what does the Applied Section do?
1: Well, so let me uh, uh, start, Joe, and I'm, of course, I'm very happy to talk about this, but let me start by actually delineating between the two hats that I'm wearing by some stroke of strange fate uh, right now. And that is, so I'm currently the president. Mm-hmm. Of an organization called the Association of Applied and Clinical Sociology. And concurrently, um, although the terms are a little bit staggered, but I am the chair, as you're referencing, to one of the ASA sections, American Sociological Association uh, sections, called the um, Sociological Practice and Public Sociology section. So um, there are certainly a lot of common interests across the two, but they're also, you know, they're really, they also have a lot of differences. Namely, that the uh, SPPS, the Sociological Practice and Public Sociology section, um, because it is housed within the ASA, it um, has a number of different opportunities and constraints versus AACS, the Association for Applied and Clinical Sociology, uh, which is an independent and international organization. So there are uh, different constraints and opportunities um, with both. As I said, it's just this very weird stroke of strange timing that I happen to be president of one and chair of another. Um, But in fact, my term as AACS president will be ending in about a month um, following our conference, our virtual conference. And then I'll be past president and still have a hand in things. But, uh, you know, the reins will be turned over to our very able president elect, Melissa Fry. Anyway, but to go back to your original question, you know, I'd like to say a little bit about both of those organizations. But to start with your initial question about SPPS, um, you know, to be totally honest, that uh, section has, you know, gone through a number of growing pains over the years and identity development, you know, different stages in that identity development. Um, It has really been, in my experience, only in the past several years that the uh, let's say the impending crisis, now current crisis of of higher ed has come into view. Uh, of course, nothing compared to what it is. <laughs> how clear the view is right now. And uh, and so the so SPPS has primarily historically devoted its attention to um, activities within the discipline, which often means not exclusively, but often means, you know, a lot of activity uh, within um, academia, right? So, you know, focused on people who would become, by definition, ASA members. And that's generally, with the disciplinary organizations like that, it's generally academics and, and, you know, academic adjacent folks. Now, SPBS, in my estimation, is um, really uh, well situated right now to be moving forward and and, and having dialogue with certainly other sections and other folks who come under the ASA umbrella, but getting academia to be a little bit more focused and uh, sociology as a discipline to be more focused about what activities and uh, and tips and techniques, let's say things like graduate departments can do to, to help better train their sociology graduate students or even perhaps sociology undergrad students as well. But, you know, how can we best, how can we do right by these folks who have rightly, in my estimation, recognized that there are a lot of important sociological insights to be had, and that those can be applied for beneficial social change, if only we would get out of our own way, as a we being our dis- the discipline, right? Lots more I can say about that, and I'm happy to return to it. But I also then want to address something similar with AACS. And I should say, too, I'm, I'm honestly relatively new, somewhat ironically, to SPPS. But I've been involved with AACS since 2012, when I joined the um, board of directors, and it's uh, pretty near and dear to my heart uh, as well. And um, as I mentioned, AACS is, um, because it's not under the ASA umbrella, it Mm. is a little bit less confined, right, or constrained to the academic disciplinary, you know, expectations or boundaries, which gives us a little bit more latitude. And, uh, And what that really means in practice is that we have been, especially over the past several years much more active or proactive in pursuing connections with people who are in the profession and by professions, I mean, a variety of professions, not just uh, faculty. And um, so we do have a number, a significant number of academics. We also have a lot of students who are desperately looking for a way out of, you know, what does it all mean? If I have a degree in sociology, what can I do with this? But um, especially over the past several years, we have Mm. developed a um, series of webinars that are designed, I mean, we call them professional development webinars, that are designed to increase people's skills, and, uh, you know, that may be more marketable on the job market than, say, you know, deeply in the weeds, theoretical treatise, uh, and, uh,
0: and right. you know, maybe, <laughs> right, maybe. Uh,
1: and so those, those uh, professional development webinars not only, we hope, serve our uh, members, our membership, but also uh, provide an opportunity for people in the discipline who have left academia to give back and be connected. Because one of the things that I've learned in the past several years, and also through the maybe even particularly in the course of doing a uh, project about what happens to non academic sociology PhDs, which I'd love to talk about. Uh, but one thing I've learned throughout all these activities is that people who have left the uh, discipline often feel rejected, they often feel cut off from the discipline because the discipline is so, it's so hard to decouple, historically at least, decouple the discipline with um, from academia. And so people who go the non-academic route have historically felt abandoned. And, and yet they're very interested in trying to help other people in the discipline, young people in particular, and um, to try to impart some of the wisdom that was hard-earned on their end.
0: You know, I—it's it, it, very true. We have graduates who we—we're we're an applied program, and it's interesting how uh, we have students who move on to applied fields and they love sociology and they think of themselves as sociologists. And I, I, I find the idea that we're standing in our own way to be very intriguing. Like I'd love to hear more about that. I feel, for example, psychologists embrace those who apply their knowledge in the field. What are we doing differently that prevents us from becoming like psychologists, for example?
1: Well, the biggest, uh, I mean, there's a lot to what you're saying, and I certainly agree that uh, we are, I don't want to say completely unique among the social science disciplines, but, you know, something close to that, you know, in in terms of the, the historically, the lack of organized, non-academic pathways. And so, you know, you mentioned psychologists, absolutely, because psychologists have, you know, long organized, you know, well outside of uh, academia, and there's a in a series of standards and a series of clear pathways to practice that are done right, at least. It's sort of research and practice kind of inform each other. Similarly with economists, you know, I often uh, like to use economics as a comparator for sociology, in part because Frankly, a lot of things that pass as behavioral economics these days are really, you could say, just another, you know, just another name for sociology. Now, any economist listening to this might have a quibble with that, but I stand, I stand by my my assertion that they're pretty sure. similar. Yeah, and and so so we have the psychologists out there uh, engaging in you know clinical and uh, other practice. We have the um, economists out there who are have a clear, uh, you know, they certainly have a clear value on the market. And really, you know, sociology is, is as I said, pretty unique in terms of the relative, not only the relative uh, lack of organization in, you know, recognizable marketing or branding terms, you know, outside of academia, but also, um, you know, we have, as a social science discipline, we have arguably the broadest methodological and substantive, you know, range or set of domains. And that is... I think, you know, in many ways, you could argue that that is a strength in terms of our uh, ability to answer complex questions and the recognition of the interconnectedness of really most, if not all social phenomena, things that I think are, you know, again, very valuable. And anybody who thinks deeply about something would probably come to that conclusion as well. But it also that breadth precisely makes it difficult to translate in a certainly in a soundbite way or a very coherent way to the outside world what sociologists actually do. And so, you know, and we're looking at a a very interesting kind of moment in history where as knowledge becomes democratized um, or let's not not becomes, it has already become democratized. I can Google anything I want to, and so can you, and so can every student, you know, out there. You know, and so it's so that Ivory Tower no longer is the definitive repository for knowledge. And that uh, is good in many ways. It's also, uh, you know, because it opens up um, access to a lot of yeah. people who might not otherwise have it. Of course, it's also rife with potential problems. And for the academy, for higher ed, and specifically, let's say, for sociology, it poses a series of, um, I don't know, existential crises. Because sociology is a lot of things uh, and not at all bashing it. I am a sociologist and, you know, rightly or wrongly will be for the rest of my life. It's the way I look at the world. But if it's one of these things where it's in a way the study of everything. And if you poke deeply at that enough, it is also the study of nothing. Sure. If you can, you know, in this world where there's so much encouragement for specificity and specialization, uh, particularly within the academy. So all of that makes for a very, you know, uncertain um, translation to people who are beyond academia, in particular, and that uh, is problematic. And that's one of the things that I and others who are working both in AACS and in SPPS are hoping to try to correct.
0: You know, it's it's true. I I, I often imagine that like 30 years ago, a lot of academics sort of got their cachet from the fact that they had a more exclusive access to large audiences or printed distribution of whatever they happen to be thinking at the time. And now with blogs, it's like just opinions on Marxism, for example, are like a dime a dozen, like throw a rock mm-hmm. at the internet. You're going to hit some type of blog that political econ- has a Marxist political economy interpretation. Of. And you're like, well, what's the point of us, if we're going to compete like that. But, there are like sociology, we do place people in, in lines of work that are, you know, that, uh, in gainful lines of work where they can make substantive contributions. Like, like I know our department, we place in marketing, we place in survey research and program evaluation and data analytics. What kinds of careers do you see people with sociology degrees moving on to engage?
1: Yeah. So um, excellent question. And, and uh, and you know, certainly the breadth here is also staggering, which makes me feel very, even more affectionately towards sociology, you know, to see what the, the myriad of ways that people can apply sociological insight. Uh, certainly the ones that you named are very uh, popular. So, you know, evaluation research, absolutely. The, uh, and marketing, uh, although I will say it's interesting when I was uh, in graduate school, certainly, and probably even well before that, there was a message that you shouldn't do things like that because you were being a sellout. Right. And I mean, right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some interesting,
0: but, but, but then I'll move on to my high prestige institution that launders privilege by mixing <laughs> smart and rich kids. But yeah, I'm all in for the people. sure. Right.
1: No, that's, ex- that's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. The, the, Oh God, the willful ignorance yeah. about what people need and, and how to apply it and what impact really means. Uh, But anyway, yeah, I'd love to get back to that in a little bit. But to answer your question, certainly, yes. So certainly marketing, evaluation research. um, There are a lot of what I call academic adjacent positions that are very appealing, particularly for people who do have a PhD as opposed to, let's say, a master's or a bachelor's in sociology, which is a different set of opportunities and constraints, of course, for them as well. But just thinking about the PhD folks, um, academic adjacent places are you know places where they're typically, their research skills, their methodological skills are often um, very valued. Uh, in fact, not often, they are very valued at places like that. And they get to engage not only in the world of ideas that is, of course, familiar to um, anyone in academia, but they also have a, and I think this is a real important point, they have the opportunity to implement, usually, to implement their findings. You know, they pursue an idea, uh, and they um, get some findings about it, get some data, and then they're able to implement and apply it in a way that feels typically much more satisfying than what goes on. There are certainly exceptions, but what usually goes on in an academic environment where there is a whole lot of lip service given to implementation, especially now dissemination and implementation are big buzzwords. And and yet um, there's typically you know, very little of that in practice, at least, you know, specifically in a, in a sustained way, because most of the implementation work that happens is uh, work that goes, you know, may last as long as the grant lasts, but then the grant is over and, you know, the uh, academicians, you know, withdraw, which is understandable at at the individual level, right? But it means that uh, long-term implementation or long-term sustainability is is lost. And that is um, certainly a concern in a lot of ways. And it's frustrating to pretty much all of the academics I know, because especially in this day and age, it's very difficult to justify both you know, globally and internally, <laughs> intrapersonally, spending so much time and energy and effort and money and, uh, and brain space on something that will really just probably wind up in an academic journal article that is then behind a paywall. uh, And not to mention, even if somebody can get it out from behind the paywall or if it's open access, it's often, again, not always, but often uh, shrouded in academic jargon that makes it inaccessible for a lot of people, uh, most people to want to engage in. So you're spending all of this time and effort to try to devise the perfect study. You go through peer review, which is its own own process, uh, and and then basically, what do you? What, what's your takeaway? Like, if you're lucky, you get forty people who read the abstract of what you wrote. That's that's a little disheartening. And so, so one of the uh, attractions to doing work that is outside the academy, and particularly that kind of work that has more ready opportunity for application and implementation is work that, you know, you're not, you're actually seeing some result. You're feeling like what you're doing is meaningful. And, you know, of course, Joe, I'm sure we yeah. both are in agreement that yeah. if there's ever a time to be doing positive things, putting positive work out there in the world, uh, it is now.
0: Yeah. Also, you know, for, just from an intellectual standpoint, At least with psychologists, the body of knowledge that they collectively develop is tested in the world. Like it comes into contact with reality and the saw is sharpened. And I've always felt like the insular nature of sociology and its reluctance to engage in applied fields like sell out to the capitalists or whatever it does, it is part of the problem that leads us down the self referential abstract universe, like reading Nicholas Lumen and thinking that somehow it's of any value to I mean, I don't want to say any value, but thinking that somehow this will be a breakthrough that advances society as opposed to a more empirical you know approach where you you develop knowledge and then you try to use it and see if it works as intended.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's right. I mean it is there is certainly it has let's say it has in my view it has evolved to be quite self-indulgent, hmm. but but I will say that I am not one to entirely throw theory out, the theory baby out with the bathwater. I recognize and appreciate the intent behind it, at least right. originally, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's lots of things to say about that in, in brief. You know, I, I think it was an admirable, when, you know, in the in the payday, let's say of sociological theory, which let's say maybe was mid-century, the, you know, it's admirable and quaint and, and sweet, you know, for lack of a better word, the, the, the impulse to try to have sociology mm-hmm. be essentially like a social physics right, where human behavior could be predicted and and captured in a way, in in a somewhat sweeping way, right? I mean, that's, I I appreciate that. There's a part of me that-
0: Like grand theory of everything.
1: Exactly. That's right. That's that's the kind of theory. Now, you know, people are really engaging more, when they engage in theory, they're really engaging more in in mid-range theory, right, where it's more Mm -hmm. sensitive to immediate context and, you know, and smaller details uh, that, that matter. And I think that's exactly the right way to go. But I appreciate that, Earnest scientific impulse of, of that time. But the problem is that, yeah, as, I, as I often say about, about sociology and social science in general, you know, the answer is it depends, right? You know, it's not just always yes, it's not just always no. The answer is it depends. So I have come to think of among the the many values uh, or the value of sociology is really more of an awareness of the complexity of human behavior the you know what might be called the social ecological model um that's often sort of emphasized more in social work but i think it's of course very applicable to sociology the the multiple layers of things and being able and, and a real the real value of being able to apply sociology is to be able to raise awareness of the complexity of those behaviors and the reasons for people to do or say the things that they um do And then to think about the multi-level policy implications, or again, you know, ways to help shape uh, things in an optimal way, both for the individual and for the broader society. I mean, Durkheim, going back to, you know, theory, Durkheim and all, you know, other um, particularly early theorists, he was onto something. They were onto something, which is that, you know, it's, we're not just isolated individuals. There are patterns, social patterns. But now the discipline is at a point where is challenged and should be challenged to be able to um, harness that insight in a way that is uh, not only accessible to all, but also has direct connection with what we should be doing with that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, I think most people, many people who are not even sociologists have absorbed some of that lesson, right? That's out there, partly with the democratization of knowledge that I referred Mm -hmm. to before. You know, uh, we understand about, to some degree, about crowd behavior. We understand about um, what I think most people often think of as the equivalent of social psychology, right? But it is now incumbent upon sociologists and the discipline of sociology to be able to articulate why it matters but you know it's it's tricky, Joe. The the history of sociology. You know, you alluded to this question of why we've. You didn't say it this way, but why we've kind of backed ourselves in a corner a little bit. And it's tricky because, in a lot of ways, I don't want to oversimplify it, because, of course, there's multiple threads to this story. But a very dominant thread of in the history of the discipline is that you know the line was drawn in the sand in the early 1900s when in the Chicago School, you know, when People like Jane Adams who was a sort of marginal member of, of that group. And she, I am, again, I, I just, all caveat, all, you know, grain is all uh, taken. But essentially she said, hey, guys, because it was, you know, it was guys. Hey, guys, why don't we do something with these things that we're observing? And they essentially were like, oh, don't be silly. And so, and so she went off and, you know, founded Hull House and essentially, you know, founded the discipline of, of social work or the prof- it's, There's a question, so discipline or profession, but, you know, founded social work. And from then on, sociology was in a little bit of a bind because if it right. was too applied, then it would be social work. And that's another thing I remember from graduate school when um, I you know, I didn't really have a vocabulary then. And in fact, I I had, I think I told you this before, I really, I drank the Kool-Aid pretty hard in graduate school. I mean, I I was, I was even an assistant editor on uh, sociological theory, the journal. Oh yeah. I was, I mean, yeah, it's a blessing and a curse that I have always been a bit of a joiner. So I was all in with the discipline. I was the sociology graduate association president, you know, just all sorts of silly things like that. But, you know, I remember trying to, find a vocabulary hmm. to express what felt empty to me and yet i of course blamed myself thinking i just oh, wow. it was somehow <laughs> deep and i just i just didn't get it you know i was just too dumb so i really struggled, even with all my activity and, and joining and stuff, I, I really struggled to try to make it feel more meaningful right. to me. And when I would articulate uh, or try to this need to want to do something with it or see something practical come from it, people would give me the critique that if I, you know, what am I a social worker? You know, I mean, you know, and, and, and that is really. Rewarding.
0: Yeah. So uh, we're, we're running low on time. But if you could give one message to that grad student who feels very hopeless, thinking, wow, there's just no jobs, I'm a failure, I'm never going to be a professor, et cetera, et cetera. What piece of wisdom would you give them as somebody who has great exposure to the world of sociology beyond the academy?
1: I would first uh, emphasize that you're not alone. I, you know, I reference. We can talk maybe this in another episode or something like that. But I reference that I, I have been involved in a project interviewing and surveying non-academic sociology PhDs, and I can tell you, without uh, exception, I believe every single one of the people I talked to expressed this you know, agony really about, you know, their relationship to the discipline and everybody is basically reinventing, historically at least has been reinventing the wheel on their own. So I would, and in fact, many, for many of the interviews, even these are people who are established now, they're in great careers and, and so on. And yet it was still meaningful to them to hear that this is a very common sentiment and experience that we've all been experiencing it alone. So I'd emphasize that the person is not alone. And uh, I would also emphasize that there are, you know, an enormous number of careers out there. We sort of got sidetracked in talking about what some of those are. But I've seen everyone, uh, I've seen people doing everything from uh, applying sociology in a therapeutic setting. So in other words, you know, functioning as um, as a therapist, as a private psychotherapist, uh, with sociology. I actually, um, I've since closed my business because I'm too just busy with everything else. But um, but I used to do that very same thing. I used to be apply, so, sort of marry sociological mm-hmm. insights with um, with psychotherapeutic techniques in a, in a private practice. But I'm certainly not the only one to, to do that. There are these, as I say, academic uh, adjacent research positions. There are people who um, have founded their own businesses and are very successful in terms of being... You know, experienced designers, a lot of uh, user experience uh, folks, a lot of big corporations now are hiring social scientists, um, particularly anthropologists. But that's only because sociologists haven't yet thrown their hat definitively in the ring. Um, So there's lots and lots of different things that people can do. And I would also emphasize that I would ask them to question whether they really wanted to be an academic. Um, Do they really understand what it's all about? Uh, There are a lot of great things about being an academic. There are also a lot of things that are uh, leave much to be desired, and you typically can earn more money, not that it's all about that, but you can typically earn more money and have a little bit more work-life balance in non-academic positions. And particularly with this current uh, crisis and likely long-lasting crisis within higher ed, um, it is very smart to be looking uh, around as much as possible and uh, certainly um, places like AACS, organizations like AACS, have uh, offerings you know, for networking and so on so that uh, people can try to make those connections with, with people who are doing more um, applied work outside the academy.
0: So two questions before I let you go. Number one, if people want to learn more about the AACS, where do they go on the web?
1: So the uh, website address is um, aacsnet.net. AACSnet.net.
0: And then the second question is, there's two things that I really regret not following up on, and I hope you'll come back. Number one, I want to hear more about how sociology is shooting itself in the foot in terms huh. of the development. And two, I think I'd love to hear a deeper dive about job tips about uh, getting work. So maybe you can come back.
1: I would love that. I would love to come back. I love what you're doing, um, you know, uh, elevating and, and raising attention to a number of Subfields in sociology, and I certainly am very happy to get the word out about applied and clinical sociology. I also want to say very briefly my own career is in um, health services research. So, as you mentioned, I'm a faculty member in the School of Medicine at uh, Colorado. I'm also uh, the associate director for the Denver Seattle Center of Innovation. Um, there's lots to say about that, but the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because I think the field of health services, um, I mean, health, the health domain in general, is um, tremendously ripe for insights from and contributions from social scientists, particularly sociologists. I know I beat that drum all the time, but there are, rightly or wrongly, there are a lot of, you know, there's certain drivers of the economy right now. Health is certainly one of them. MDs are obviously tremendously gifted in, in many ways, but they're not social scientists. And, and the social scientific insights can only help us serve patients and and populations better. So I'd really encourage people to think about that as a potential domain um, for direction as well.
0: Karen Albright, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Joe. I loved it.
0: You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. Special thank you to Karen Albright from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. We're on the web, theannexpodcast.com, on Twitter, at Soch Annex, and on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast. The Annex Sociology Podcast is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. To learn more, visit queenspodcastlab.org. Our producer is Leseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.